Addiction is a chronic disease. Millions of people worldwide suffer from substance and behavioral addictions. An addict's life is often unmanageable, leaving the addict and his or her family and friends feeling completely powerless over the disease. Without treatment, addiction can result in disability or premature death. You are listening to Making an Addict. My name is DJ Burr, and I'm an addict in long-term recovery. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, behavioral addiction specialist, and best-selling author of I Just Wanted Love, Recovery of a Codependent Sex and Love Addict, now available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. I intend to bring you different perspectives about addiction from various sources including other addicts in recovery, clinicians who treat recovering addicts, and families and friends of addicts to discover what makes an addict. Discretion is advised. To learn more about this podcast, check us out at makinganaddict.com or follow me on social media at djburr1022 on Facebook or the DJ Burr on Instagram. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Making an Addict. I'm DJ Burr and today I have a guest. Her name is Allie Hayden. Allie, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad that you were able to to, to be here today. Uh, would you mind introducing yourself to our audience? Sure. Um, my name is Allie Hayden. Um, I'm a person in long-term recovery uh, from drugs and alcohol. My date of sobriety is 11-3 of 09. And um, I've been working with uh, young people, teenagers, young adults, and their families in the greater Houston area for about the last six and a half, almost seven years now. Fantastic. Do you work uh, for yourself or in an agency? I actually do both. Um, I work for a nonprofit agency called Palmer Drug Abuse Program that's been around since 1971. It's an alternative peer group um, and that hosts um, 12-step based meetings for teenagers, young adults, and their families. And then we also offer some individual and family counseling services. And then I have a small private practice on Saturdays uh, where I can see teenagers, uh, young adults, and their families um, just kind of on my own that maybe aren't ready for the 12-step route um, or just kind of some harm reduction or some behavioral issues. Well, goodness, it sounds like you're doing a lot for the recovery community. Thank you. Well, I'm happy to do it. I love it. Yeah, you know, I I have the same uh, feeling, you know, I, I really appreciate the work that we all do to, to give back, especially when we uh, freely receive uh, help from the rooms of recovery. Is that how you got started in um, this addiction work? Yes, absolutely. Um, I, like I said, I got sober in November. Um, and when I got about 18 months sober is when I first, um, I was actually a teacher. Um, I taught seventh grade English for one year and, um, it was just not for me, but my favorite part of the day was that the kids would line up in front of my classroom, like early in the morning and at lunch. And they just wanted to sit and talk about, you know, their boyfriends or their girlfriends or their parents or their coach. And I really enjoyed that part. Um, but not so much teaching, you know, 12 and 13 year olds, how to diagram sentences. So, um, <laughs> after that school year ended, uh, I found a job at Palmer drug abuse program as a youth group coordinator, which is like the younger group staff that just kind of basically they get paid to hang out and have fun and be enthusiastic about their recovery and facilitate groups. 
And, um, and so I, I did that for about a year and, um, it was just the greatest job and I loved doing it. So I got my LCDC and kind of took off from there. And I've worked in several other agencies here in the greater Houston area, um, kind of since then. And, um, and just the love and the passion has grown and grown and grown from that. So it sounds like you've always had a, a desire to work with kids, seeing that you went through, I'm assuming, you know, some schooling to become a, a teacher. <laughs> well, if I'm being super honest, um, I got an English degree as my bachelor's because I was very active in my addiction at that time. And I honestly thought to myself, I could probably do a lot of drugs and drink a lot and still make pretty decent grades. <laughs> um, and so that's what I did. And um, turns out I was right. And, um, and so when I left school, it was December of 2008 is when I graduated and there was just a hiring freeze all over the place. And, um, you know, and I needed a job that fit in with my drinking and, you know, anywhere that started at 8am or 9am was just, you know, out of the question, anywhere that drug tested was out of the question. So I just waited tables. So it wasn't until I moved back home and my mom basically said, listen, you can't just sit around and drink and wait tables. Like you need to do something. And she was a teacher and, and, and she's been in education. So she said, why don't you get your alternative teaching certification while you're living here? Um, and so that's how I got started into teaching <laughs> um, and that sort of thing. But I even remember when I was still drinking, actually talking with my dad um, after a night he had picked me up from the Brazos County jail and, um, and he was like, what are you going to do with your life? And I was like, you know, I really think I should help young people with drug and alcohol issues. Cause I know a lot about that. <laughs> and this was before I even got sober. So thank God, you know, that I was able to come into the rooms of, um, of recovery and actually have something to give these young people. But I think that that passion was instilled early on. Wow, what a gift yeah. to bring your experience to to the youth. Because I don't think we talk enough about the youth, and that's when it all starts for most of us. Yeah, right? yeah. So can you... If you hear anybody in it, the rooms, they say, you know, when did you start drinking? And usually it's around teenage years. Exactly, yep. And then and there might be some peer pressure, there might be some mm -hmm. anxiety or depression, um, and they're looking to numb that. There can be trauma. There's a variety of things that lead, you know, our youth to engaging in addictive behaviors, not just with substances, but uh, any type mm -hmm. of addictive behavior. So it's good that we have these conversations and reach out to them because I think they're often ignored. Absolutely. Well, and I would say, you know, I, I've actually heard someone um, talk about their own recovery that I really identified with. And, and they just said, first, it was fun then it was fun with problems, then it was just problems. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, that's exactly how it was. Hmm. Because, you know, I, I don't think I could really honestly say that there was some big traumatic event that happened in my life. There was some stuff going on in my household. My dad is an addict of a different kind, um, and he is not in recovery. Um, and so I think some things were kind of coming coming up, and, you know, as I got a little bit older, um, I could kind of see that and hear what was going on and make some connections and it wasn't making a whole lot of sense to me. But 
I mean, really, the reason I started drinking and stuff like that was because the cute boys that I liked were drinking and partying and they were all punk rock and looked cool and um, stole beer and, you know, that kind of thing. And I just really fell in love with that. Um, And so I think for me, my addiction really just got started that it was just fun, you know, and I think that's how it gets started for a lot of young people. And unfortunately, it's just kind of like rolling the dice a lot of times if we're genetically predisposed to addiction or, you know, some other stuff ends up happening while we're in our early stages of addiction that causes some trauma or causes some shame cycles. Um, And then we start using to kind of calm those emotions or calm those shame cycles or calm that trauma. That's true. Absolutely. I can remember you know, having those experiences and wanting to to be calmed or numb and reaching mm-hmm. out to, you know, other people, places and things to try to make that happen. I'm mm-hmm. curious if there were any consequences for you early on when you were drinking. So it's been described to me um, when I tell my story that they kind of describe me as a low bottom, high functioning alcoholic um, and you know, so I, I guess I can tell my story and y'all can decide for yourself, you know, if that's the case, but, you know, I was able to graduate college, um, but also, you know, got arrested pretty frequently, um, lost jobs, lost relationships, got, I had health, some health issues, um, that came up because of my drinking and using, but in high school, when I, when I kind of first started, I worked a full-time job, um, I took AP classes and I had a horse that was kind of like my big, that was my extracurricular activity is I rode horses and I went to horse shows and everything. Um, But how my addiction kind of played a part in that was um, how I was able to do all that stuff is I would wake up at 4.30 in the morning and, you know, do some speed, drive to the barn, go ride early in the morning, drive to school and then go work at night and then get, you know, a couple hours of sleep and then wake up and do it all over again. And usually I would, you know, use stimulants in order to keep me going all day. And then I would have to drink or smoke pot or something like that in order to kind of bring me down at night. Um, And so I think, you know, my drug use and my alcohol use kind of assisted me in having this very high functioning life. And I know my parents and I got into a lot of arguments Um, and they knew what was going on and they kind of tried to catch me and, and do what they could. But I remember my mom telling me, I just wanted you to be happy. And I just thought if you could just be happy, if you could just have your horse and you could just, you know, have your life, then you wouldn't be doing all of this stuff. But of course, as we all know, when we get sucked into that addiction cycle, it doesn't matter, you know, and what happened to me is what happens with a lot of people. Um, we end up losing the thing that we really love, the thing that makes us really happy. And that's exactly what happened to me. I didn't ride a horse for seven or eight years um, once my addiction really got going. Oh, my. And, and that was a major self-care tool for you. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that sucks when and, that happens. Yes. Um, and you know, the crappy part, I remember exactly the time of day. I remember where I was standing. I remember what I was wearing when I made the decision, um, you know, a few years after high school. And I said, 
I would rather go get drunk than go to the barn. And then that was, that was the time. I mean, that was the decision. And I didn't go back for years after that. Do you wish that your parents uh, would have said something or done something different? That's hard for me to answer because, you know, in retrospect, I, you know, I look back as an adult and I'm like, man, you know, I, I hear my mom and she was like, well, I was really considering sending you to a therapeutic boarding school. And I'm like, that probably would have been a really good idea. Why didn't you do that? And, and she was like, I just thought, you know, if you had your horse, like maybe you would be happy you wouldn't do all this stuff. And I think my mom had a lot going on with my dad's addiction and my grandmother was very sick at the time. And so I think she was just really trying to keep her family together and keep everything afloat. Um, you know, <laughs> I work with so many young people and, oh, they just, you know, it's so difficult for them to see where their parents are coming from. Um, you know, they're just so resentful and they're so angry. It's, you should just let me be, you know, is, is kind of the anthem that I hear a lot. Um, and it's, it's hard. And so how I, I don't have children of my own. I have a stepdaughter whom I love. She's 11 years old and great growing up way too fast, <laughs> but how I kind of explain it to them is, you know, my, I have lots of dogs. So I'm like, my dogs will never understand when I try and explain to them not to eat certain things, you know, like hard plastic on your remotes, my, my dogs love to eat the hard plastic on the remotes. I'm like, they literally cannot understand the words that I'm saying, like, this is going to hurt you. So what do I do? I pop them on the nose and I say, no. And they look at me hurt and confused. Like, why are you doing this? You know, I'm enjoying this treat right here, your remote. And, and it's just like that with kids and parents, I think a lot of times is, you know, the kids just kind of look confused and dazed, like, I don't understand, you know, this is so much fun right now. And the parents are like, no, and they just can't, they just can't understand sometimes. Yeah, I think it's also important to, to say a little bit more than no, but to maybe to, to give <laughs> some information. And I think, because oh, I yeah. see the parents uh, who, who say no, and that's it, there's no information. I think it's good to share when it's appropriate uh, of why oh, you're of why you're concerned about the behavior or the 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 drug use or alcohol use to explain why you're concerned. Yes. So I actually last weekend just put on a seminar um, called "How the Crap Do I Talk to My Teen," and <laughs> that sounds and great. It was for parents um, to. And a lot of a lot of times, what I talk with families about in my sessions is just kind of speaking that um, that internal dialogue out loud. Um, you know, and we talk a lot about how you know we make a lot of assumptions when we're communicating with people, and we think that they know where we're coming from, and they think we think that they can, you know, that they've filled in a lot of those blanks that are, is in our minds, but they haven't. And so we have to kind of you know we have to work with parents on kind of speaking some of that out loud and the teenagers of, um, you know, I'm, I'm really concerned about you. You know, this is the behavior that I'm seeing. What the fear that it brings up in me is that because you're doing this, because you're making bad decisions here, that I'm afraid you're going to make bad decisions somewhere else. And that's going to endanger your life. And so that's why I'm yelling at you <laughs> is right. because that fear is igniting this, you know, this reaction and, and just kind of speaking some of those assumptions and some of those, 
some of that internal dialogue out loud in a calmer way um, can really help the teens and the families have a better understanding of where everybody's coming from. Right. And sometimes it's really good to to be clear about what the natural consequences are and the logical mm. consequences and, yes. and, and to be really clear about it. And I think that's helpful, especially for a teenager. I think they, mm-hmm. they're able to comprehend, you know, natural and logical consequences. Absolutely. And that that was actually a, a point of discussion during the seminar um, was, you know, giving some examples of what natural consequences are. And, um, you know, and I've explained to, to parents and I, I explain it to the teens when I first meet them, listen, you're an adult in the making. You know, biologically speaking, your body's already telling you you know, you need to be procreating, you need to be out on your own. That's what it's telling you. But our society has put something on you saying that until you turn this magical age of 18, you're still a child. And then all of a sudden you turn this magical age and okay, you need to hurry up and get it together. You need to hurry up and be an adult. And that just seems really unfair, Mm -hmm. you know? And so being an adolescent just really is kind of a crappy time because their bodies are telling them they're ready to go, but society is telling them, nope, you're still a kid. Right. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure, especially when there's boundaries that are preventing you from, from you know, working out that, that natural inclination to explore and, like you said, procreate and connect outside of the family system. Um, but sometimes those boundaries are helpful. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Yep. So um, how much time do you spend with a youth trying to to help uh, him or her uh, understand uh, about addiction? Oh, man. Um, I mean, as much time as humanly possible. (laughs) Um, So the beautiful thing about um, Palmer Drug Abuse Program, and we we have shortened that, we call it PADAP, um, is that they can be the younger group starts at 12 wow um and and goes from 12 to 17 and then the older group goes from 18 to 25 and i have been really really fortunate that no matter where i've worked in the greater houston area i've worked with adolescents and so i've known some of these kids for five or six years now like they were my clients when i was working in the rehab facility on the adolescent unit and then they went to the sober high school and I got to go work at the sober high school here in Houston. And then they participated in an alternative peer group. And so when I came over to PADAP, I got to be their counselor at their alternative peer group. So there's some of these kids I've literally gotten to watch grow up and, and become beautiful young adults. Um, There's two or three of them I'm thinking about right now that, you know, they've got five years sober, four years sober, three years sober and are being super helpful to people. And so, you know, that's been the beautiful part about kind of Houston's continuum of care um, is we have all of these amazing facilities and we're really, we're a big community of recovery, but we're also like this very tight knit community of recovery. So I realize that I'm straying from your question just a little bit, so I wanna get back to it. But um, so as far as spending time with the youth, talking to them about addiction, Um, We make it very clear at PADAP that only they can decide if they're an addict or an alcoholic or how they want to identify. Um, All we can do is assist them in in kind of looking at the unmanageable unmanageable parts of their life that has kind of led them there. And 
you know, how can we work with you on, um, you know, on putting those pieces of your life back together? And, you know, maybe you don't plan on staying sober forever and that's okay. We can meet you there. Um, but for now, the boundaries that you've been given in your home or the boundaries you've been given by the law or the boundaries you've been given by your school is that you need to remain substance free. And so how can we help you get through these next couple of years and have your brain develop a little bit um, and just develop some better coping skills and that sort of thing um, and go on and lead a, a happy, healthy life? Sounds like an amazing program. Um, it sounds like a lot of resources are, are provided uh, to the youth and to the family to, to educate them and support them on this journey. Because like you said, for some of them, they're five years sober and they've been mm -hmm. doing this work for five years, right? Mm -hmm. they've, they've, they've learned so much about themselves and, and addiction along the way. That's great. I, I, you know, you talked about the sober high school. I'm like, what the hell is that? Um, because, because we need more of that. Yes, yes, we do. Um, and actually, if you want to check out something that's a really great resource, there's a documentary that was made about the greater Houston area and um, the sober high school that was here and kind of the, the other programs that feed into that. And it's called Generation Found. Um, and I think you can download it on iTunes and Amazon and Voodoo and all of those places. Okay. Um, but it, it it's a great representation of kind of how all of the programs kind of work together here. Fantastic. To serve the young people. Do you yeah. know if they focus on behavioral addictions at all? So some of the alternative peer groups focus um, or have kind of a, a, a piece to that. Um, there is another um, inpatient, outpatient facility here in Houston called the Center for Success and Independence. That's a great resource. Um, and they, they have a substance abuse program, but then they also have, um, they're mainly, I think, behavioral health. And so they do a lot of DBT therapy and those sorts of things. So kids that come to PADAP um, don't necessarily have to have a primary um, you know, substance abuse issue. They can be there. And in fact, we've got some, and we've got some siblings um, that attend with their, um, you know, with their brothers or sisters. And so the, the only requirement for membership in our program is the desire to live a chemical free life. And so if they're there for self-harm or for sex addiction or for anger um, or something like that, you know, they're more than welcome because as we all know, the steps work, you know, yes. you just have to replace kind of that one word with, with really anything. I'm also a recovering rageaholic. And so, you know, I've had to explain with some of my kids that, man, I absolutely work my steps on that rage because it's adrenaline and it gets me hyped up and it makes me feel powerful and large. And, um, and this is something I, my body gets high on. And so I'm, I'm recovering from that as well. Well, I'm so glad to hear that you're able to support not only the, the the substance abusers, but also those who are struggling with the behavioral addictions. That's my specialty, and we don't mm -hmm. we're not having a, a lot of conversations in society about behavioral addictions, at least not as mm -hmm. as much as we I think we should be. And so mm -hmm. I'm glad that there are some resources out there for those kids who are who are struggling with other uh, with other concerns. I mean. When these kids are in pain, they're just looking to escape the pain. 
and if they don't have all the resources they need or the information they need they start like looking for it right and they start experimenting and that can cause great harm to their young lives and so i'm grateful that the padap exists and other programs like it um so what's your favorite part of your job oh my gosh um (laughs) so we have sober functions on the weekends that are fridays and saturdays now i'm i'm kind of senior staff so you know i don't come on saturdays all the time anymore um, but we, PDAP has kind of had this long-standing tradition that we do this one particular function and it's called Dope Fiend Olympics. Wow. And it's just craziness for like five hours. <laughs> um, so the kids get into teams and then the staff always has a really great time, um, kind of coming up with different contests and games. And it's a little bit of a mix between like fear factor and the minute to win it. I don't know if you've watched any of those games, but they'll have them do kind of really funny things for a minute. Um, that's like a that's like a race or a contest or a relay race or something like that. So this one, just to give you an example, we got a couple of slip and slides and we put baby oil all over the slip and slides. <laughs> and then and then we had the kids and they had to do the wheelbarrow, you know, where one yes. kid like has to walk on their hands and the other person holds them by their feet. Well, so they had to do that across the slip and slide with baby oil with they they broke an egg into their mouth of the person who's the wheelbarrow and they had to hold the egg in their mouth and then go spit it into a cup at the end of the slip and slide. Oh my so word. So it it was gross and hilarious and so that's always a really fun time. So I think my favorite part of the job is just getting to watch the kids actually experience what it's like having fun sober and what it's like having fun and doing crazy stuff because these are adrenaline seeking kids, um, you know, doing crazy things that don't require harming others or or harming themselves. Right. And it's good to know mm -hmm. that we can have fun sober. Absolutely. And one of my favorite memories was when, I was a youth group coordinator at PADAP the first time around, way back in the day. And I just remember we were like party carring to um, a laser tag. We were going to go play laser tag, I think. And we just had this really fun techno song on. And this kid who was brand new was just rocking it in the back seat. And I remember him saying, I've never had this much fun. I didn't think I could do this sober. And I just remember that bringing like the biggest joy to my heart because that's exactly what I, what I want. Like, that's what I'm here to do is just, you know, bring you this happiness, happy, joyous, and free feeling, um, that's uninhibited by substances and, you know, some crazy, (laughs) crazy attention seeking, you know, negative attention seeking behaviors. Goodness. That, I mean, it, it sounds, uh, you know, the the party that you guys uh, have sounds really wild and, and fun. And uh, it sounds great that you can do it sober, right? And, and yes. enjoy that, um, the fellowship. Uh, it sounds like uh, fellowship is really important there at PADAP. And so um, I'm curious if the staff members have their own type of activities that they can do without the kids so they can stay refreshed when working with this really difficult topic? 
Um, that's a great question. Uh, a big part of my job um, is is focusing on the staff and taking care of the staff because they're all early twenties. You know, these are these are young adults, and all of my staff right now. Let's see, three of them have been in PADAP. Um, one was not, but one was actually a client of mine um, when I worked at a, a different facility, and so I. I know these kids, you know, and now they're these wonderful young adults. And so a big part of my job and a big part of my responsibility is making sure that they feel taken care of. Um, so we do, you know, we do some check-ins with each other and that sort of thing. Um, and we try and do some fun stuff together when we can. Um, the other really great thing about the Houston area is um, there's TexiPaw, which is the Texas Conference of Young People in AA. Oh. And since Houston is such a big um, recovery community, there's a really big TexiPaw following. And so um, <laughs> I know a lot of them kind of, you know, and so we've got social events for young adults in recovery at least once or twice a month. Um, and so I know some of them choose to engage in that. Um, and some of them, you know, they just really, they love their home groups, you know? And so they're like, my home group has been a, a noon meeting on Mondays and that's just the meeting that I go to every, every week. And, you know, and so we want to support them and going to their, their home group meetings and going to their birthday nights, um, and everything like that. And we check in with each other and make sure that we're, we're feeling okay. Cause sometimes this, this can be really inner energizing work but then it can also be really really draining work yeah it really can be you know uh, I'm a therapist and so I'm sitting with people who are working through the trauma and also educating them about addiction and also recovery and it's exhausting but mm -hmm. I love it it's the best mm -hmm. work I've ever done but it is exhausting. So I'm glad to hear that there's support for the staff too, because we don't want them to get burnt out because the youth need them. Right. And so that's I, great. I try and tell them all the time, you know, y'all are the most important people to this organization because y'all are on the front lines. You're doing, you're doing it. Um, you're being, you're showing enthusiasm for recovery. Um, so, how I, you know, I don't know. I'm like a big foodie. So I'm like, I'm always buying them food, donuts and snacks and <laughs> pizza and stuff like that. Cause I'm just like, you know, if they can get fed and, you know, feel like they've gotten some, some recognition and that sort of thing, then by all means. And, you know, when they try and ask off, you know, I want to get off cause I want to go to my birthday night celebration. Um, and it's during my normal work hours. I'm like, great, go do that. We will get somebody to cover you because that's really important that you're participating in your own recovery right there. Great. And then you're modeling appropriate behavior for the youth, right? Um, they can go, yes. the staff can go take care of themselves and the youth can see that that's important. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Nice job. Now, does Absolutely. your family support the work that you're doing? Oh, hell yes. <laughs> They're like, please stay in recovery. We do not want Tornado Alley back in our lives. Oh, my goodness. Um, so, yes, they're very supportive. Um, my, my husband is actually in recovery as well. I met him in recovery. Nice. Um, and so, he, like, this Saturday, he and I are going to go to a convention over in Beaumont um, for the day. We're not going to stay the weekend or anything, but we're just going to go early in the morning and bring a couple of friends of ours from our home group and and just kind of go to the convention for the weekend. So, you know, I try and fill up my recovery and, and participate in that um, 
you know, and that, that fills me up. I, I don't ever get tired of it. I'm, well, I guess maybe that's a little bit of a lie. There's been times where I've kind of been like, oh my gosh, this again. But it's definitely more so I'm feeling filled up by my own recovery. Right. You know, recovery, it, being engaged in your recovery is work. Um, yeah. It's a job, right? Mm-hmm. It's a 24-7 job. Um, and, you know, we, we can't take a break from it because that leaves us vulnerable to the addiction reemerging and causing havoc in our lives. And so we have oh, yeah. to acknowledge that this is work. And I try to tell my clients, like, this is work, and in my opinion, that you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. And it's going to look differently as you progress, but it mm-hmm. is still work. And so mm-hmm. I think that's an important message to, to convey is that we have to do this work because we're worth it. Right. Well, and, and a lot of times the conversations that I have with my kiddos is, listen, when we first get sober, what we're really trying to avoid is the pain of the past. Yep. You know, we kept experiencing these negative consequences and we didn't like who we were and nobody else liked who we were. And so we're really trying to just avoid going back to a lot of that pain. However, when you kind of move into what we like to call second stage recovery, you know, the point is, is that we're actually moving towards something. So we're no longer just trying to stay sober to avoid pain, but we're actually actively pursuing recovery in order to achieve things. And what I've let them know is it just doesn't feel like a whole lot of sacrifice anymore. I I don't feel like I'm sacrificing and giving up drugs and alcohol um, as much as I did in maybe the first couple of years. Now it's just kind of like, I don't have time for that. And I like how my body feels and I like how my brain feels and my mental health is good and my relationships are good. There's no need. There's no need for me to, to lubricate any of that with drugs or alcohol. Mm. That's a great way of putting it. Thank you. Now, um, I have a, I have a couple of questions. Um, what do you say to a parent who is curious about uh, addiction and recovery and they're, they're wanting to get help to, for their youth? Um, do you have like a, a story that you relate to them? Do, is there just like a bullet points that you point out? What's that like? Well, I guess um, I encourage the parents to, I encourage the parents to, to seek out the resources in their community first and foremost. Okay. Um, and so I typically start with giving them all of the resources that I've put together um, and kind of, and usually I'll kind of listen to their story a little bit and maybe highlight the ones that I feel like might be the most helpful. Um, I also encourage them to, you know, either just come to a PADAP meeting um, and, you know, because we have parent meetings that are kind of similar to Al-Anon, but it's specifically for PADAP parents. Um, And I'm like, the thing is, is you can come to a PADAP parent meeting without your kid even being here. Um, You know, they don't need to be sober. They don't even need to be in our program in order for in order for you to get your your assistance here. Nice. And. So a lot of times, you know, I just really encourage the parents because I really believe that small change generates big change. And the thing is, is if the addict is not um, ready or willing to get sober or do what it takes, that doesn't mean that you have to continue draining your serenity about it. Um, And so I really try and help the parents help themselves 
Um, because once they start establishing boundaries and that sort of thing um, with themselves and, you know, feeling better in their own household, even with the tornado maybe still living there, um, it's going to get more uncomfortable for the tornado person. And so they're either going to need to kind of, you know, situate themselves to where they can live in that house um, peacefully, or they're going to blow themselves right out of there, um, you know, in some form or fashion. And so a lot of times that's, you know, I really do encourage the parents to really focus on you and get the help that you need because your household will change because of that. Good. I'm glad. I hope that, that answers your question. Yes, yes, for sure. I think a lot of the parents are scared when when they they suspect that something's going on with their kid and and they don't know exactly where to go or what to ask. And it sounds like you oh, provide yeah. great information. And I love that they could come to the Padap uh, parents meeting without their kids being enrolled in services with you guys. That's fantastic. Absolutely. Well, you know that's a great community resource. Uh, how long has PDAP been in, in existence now? Since 1971. So 46 years. Yeah. Yeah. We've been around for a long time. Wow. That's amazing. Well, and how I kind of started, if you want to hear the quick little story, sure. is it started in Palmer Episcopal Church, which is in, down in the Med Center in Houston. Um, and that's actually the church that houses the sober um, high school right now. Oh. Um, but so it started over there. Uh, Father Martin was um, helping this man who was an addict and was working with him. And he, as after he kind of got sober, he said, you really need to go pass it on. And they had like a basketball court outside and that sort of thing. And he said, you know, you, do you see those youth out there? You need to go talk with them, share your experience and go work with them. And so he started doing that. And, um, and that's kind of just how PDAP got formed is they just started having meetings of young people, um, in the basement at Palmer church. And it's, you know, taken on many different forms since then. And I feel like we're kind of in a really exciting growth period right now, um, too, where, you know, we, we might kind of be in our next growth spurt, um, so to say. So I think some really big things are going to start happening here in the next couple of years. Um, and that sort of thing. So that's kind of how PDAP's gotten started, um, is just one person, again, passing it on and doing what we've all been taught to do in recovery, is give it back. Now, the messaging that you guys have, does that evolve as, let's say, technology evolves? Do you, like, for for instance, do you reach out to youth via social media? Because that's where most of them are now. So we do, we have a, a Palmer Drug Abuse Houston Facebook page. Um, I believe we're also on Pinterest. We haven't quite figured out. Um, I don't think we have a Twitter or a Snapchat yet. Um, but I know for me and my staff, a lot of times we um, we friend the kids on, on Snapchat and that sort of thing. Okay. One, because it's a little bit of, you know, they'll post themselves like getting high on Snapchat. Oh. And I'm like, hey, you got something to be honest about? And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, well, Snapchat has a different story to tell. Mm. And they're like, oh, damn it. So I'm like, yeah, don't friend your counselor and then post a picture of yourself getting high (laughs) but whatever (laughs) that's okay so we do try and just you know keep connected with them um via those sorts of those sorts of things as well yes cool so you guys are evolving as well good good yes because you know the youth they i swear there's like every week there's like some new thing that they're on 
Oh, I know. I I can't keep up. And as a therapist, I try to help my the parents keep up, too, because sometimes, you know, Mm -hmm. a a parent comes into me for for their own help and there's something going on with their kid and they don't know how to reach the kid. And Mm -hmm. they're not aware about Snapchat and all these Mm -hmm. other things. Right. And so it's like education. I have to be able to to give them some information and share that. Our Padat parents are, I mean, we really are a big, giant family. And our Padat parents will send me all kinds of links and information. And they're like, hey, I just found out that I can, you know, look at my kid's phone um, on my computer. And, you know, here's how you would do that. Do you want to, you know, pass it on to the other parents? And so they are really a big source of um, resources and, and that sort of thing and kind of growth and learning because we all just kind of pitch in and share our information as we learn it. Nice. I love an engaged parent. Fantastic. Oh, yes. Oh, our parents are very, very, very involved. (laughs) (laughs) So, Allie, before we we wrap up, I wonder, is there a message that you want to to leave with our audience, primarily for the, the young folks who are maybe contemplating getting some help? Any words of wisdom? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, (laughs) I guess, you know, the beautiful thing about recovery is nobody tries to sell you anything. Um, I was always very skeptical of, you know, being sold on something and what's the catch here. Um, And the other thing is what I found in recovery is that the adults seem to have a lot more integrity than a lot of adults that I've, I've met in the past. Um, and so I'm trying to like sum up in a nutshell or something like that, like, you know, all of this wisdom or something, but I don't think I'm finding the right words. Um, I don't know. I guess I would just say, you know, what have you got to lose? If you're contemplating it, what have you got to lose? Try it out. Um, a lot of times it doesn't cost anything. You know, there's free anonymous programs everywhere. Um, and yeah, try it out and you know, I, I think a lot of people in anonymous programs say stuff like this, you know, try it for 90 days, really, really try it, like do the steps, get the sponsor, you know, try and stay abstinent from all substances, you know, or, or whatever your targeted behavior is for 90 days, really, really try it. And then if it's not working, if your life doesn't dramatically improve, um, or you're not happy with the results that you're getting, you can always go back. And then you've just used 90 days. That's three months. It's no time at all in the scheme of things. That's right. Yeah, I like that. Just use, just try it out for 90 days. That's it, you know, right. and, and really work it. I have some people that want to do 90 days and they want to go every other week. That's not, mm-hmm. that's not 90 days. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's every day for 90 days. Right. It's every day for 90 days. And, and taking all of the suggestions, you know, if, if the suggestions are get a sponsor and call them every day, do that. If the suggestions are work a step a week or, you know, every two weeks or something, really, really do that. Um, you know, even if the suggestions don't make a whole lot of sense, try it. Try it. And yeah, just try it and see and see what what happens. Yeah, I always tell my people, I'm like, look, I'm not going to encourage you to do anything that would hurt you. And I'm definitely not going to encourage you to do anything I haven't tried. Right. Exactly. Wow. Well, thank you for being with us today and sharing this amazing resource. 
uh, that PDAP is. And I am just so blown away by the history of the program and all of the resources that are in Texas. I just like, mm-hmm. what? I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. We're a big recovery community here. Well, wow, sure. I, I love that. And I, and I know we have some Texas uh, listeners out there. So definitely look up PDAP. Uh, can you give us a, the web address? Yes, it is padaphouston.org is our website. Fantastic. And then my um, private practice website is just Allie, A-L-L-I-E, Hayden, H-A-Y-D-O-N.com. Yay. And you can find out a little bit more about me. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it was so great to talk to you. And uh, anytime Absolutely. you want to come, yeah, you're welcome. Anytime you want to come back and talk about any new resources, just let me know. Oh, I would love to. I would love to. All righty. All right. Well, thank you so much, DJ. Yes, thank you. It was great. Um, have a wonderful day. Today's guests, Allie Hayden and the PADAP program, are based in Houston, Texas. As some of you may know, Houston was hit by Hurricane Harvey. If you or anyone you know are able to provide support for PADAP and the work that they are doing, please consider going to their webpage, padaphouston.org support, and offering some donations to them. I want to make sure that they are able to keep those doors open for those youth in recovery because uh, what they're doing is so important and not many programs exist like PADAP. So if you are able, please consider donating padaphouston.org slash support. That's P-D-A-P-H-O-U-S-T-O-N dot org slash support. Thank you for considering. Thank you for joining the discussion today on Making an Addict. In closing, I want you to understand that there are various opinions about addiction and what makes someone an addict. The opinions expressed here on today's show are those of the person who made them. I suggest you take what you heard, process it, and decide for yourselves what you believe in. If you have feedback or want to tell your story on the show, let me know by emailing makinganaddict at gmail.com, or you can reach me on social media. Again, I'm on Facebook and Twitter at djburr1022 and thedjburr on Instagram. Lastly, thank you for giving me the opportunity to be of service. Recovery saved my life, and I will be forever grateful. I will keep giving back every opportunity I am given. Tune in next time to witness our ongoing discussion on Making an Attic. Making an Attic is produced by DJ Burr and the Recovery Legacy Network. Today's music features tracks by CDK. Learn more at makinganaddict.com.